smart for the shit start before it get dark before they hit you with the pitch for good morning good afternoon or good evening everybody out there listening this is the tic-tac-toe fantasy hockey podcast this is your co-host michael clifford aka slim cliffy and of course i'm joined by my the other co-host adam daly aka a daily fry i learned that I learned that last week that your last name's pronounced Fry, even though we'll just call you Adam Daly from now on. Adam, Saturday, November 9th. What's going on the night of Saturday, November 9th that all of our listeners should be really excited about? Uh, it's going to be AEW Full Gear. I can't wait. I'm so stoked. <laughs> <laughs> like, it Never in my life after I turned like 13 did I think... I'm going to be 33 years old getting jacked up about <laughs> fucking wrestling pay-per-views. And here we are. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. It's like, here we are. Like, I haven't been, like, outside of, like, a couple maybe NXT TakeOver pay-per-views, like, I, I just never got excited for WWE pay-per-views anymore. Like, not even the Royal Rumble or, or, or WrestleMania or anything. And now I'm actually getting excited. Like, it, like I have the WWE Network, but I'm just ready to shell out, like, another 50 or 60 bucks or whatever it is for this. Oh, yeah, man. Like, <laughs> it was, like, what, three months ago, my brother sends me a text, like, hey, man, you want to, like, come over, have some edibles, watch wrestling? And I was like, you fucking loser. No. <laughs> of course not. I haven't watched wrestling since I was a kid. And now I'm like, let's go. <laughs> Like every every Wednesday, Adam's in my DMs at night, like just making sure, like giving me like play by play updates on on the AEW Dynamite show that's going on because usually I have to catch it on replay. It's just like I love wrestling, and I think I think AD loves AEW more than I do. It's crazy. (laughs) Yeah, I cannot recommend it enough. Oh Oh yeah. Like I like Johnny Moxley, man. Like people might know him as Dean Ambrose. I can't believe how much WWE WWE wasted him. Like I I like I'm not even a huge fan of his in ring work, but he's just such a presence on the TV. It's just oh, love it, love it, love it. Anyways, that's enough about wrestling. We should probably get moving on a little. This is uh, I believe our third podcast of the year, and I think this is the smallest slate um, that we've had to cover. Uh, other than the first slate, I think um, we did opening night, which was a four-gamer. This one's going to be a nine-game slate. There's a couple afternoon games. Uh, one of them is one of the games over in Sweden. Uh, we're not going to cover those. If you want to play showdown slates, by all means, I tried doing a showdown slate uh, for the first Sweden game. And I was actually doing pretty well until Sam Reinhart scored uh, his second goal, and that kind of sunk me. So... Um, that's kind of the way it goes to showdown. So we have nine games and there are actually a lot of interesting matchups. And I say interesting matchups because there are a lot of good teams playing a lot of very bad teams. Like we have Montreal at home to Los Angeles. We have Carolina going into Ottawa. Uh, we have Pittsburgh, um, at home to Chicago, uh, Nashville going into San Jose, depending on your view of San Jose. I don't think they're very good. Uh, Calgary, St. Louis, that's a little bit closer, I guess. But there are a lot of really lopsided matchups. And I think it's going to make it easier to follow where the ownership's going to go. Like we saw Thursday night on an 11-game slate, uh, Sebastian Ajo was 17% owned uh, at home against the Rangers. And obviously the Rangers won 4-2. Like everybody got screwed um, on Carolina. Uh, so like you can kind of tell where the ownership is going to go. Um, 
you can you can probably guarantee the ownership is going to drift towards Toronto. It usually does. Carolina is going to get a fair bit of ownership. Uh, Pittsburgh is going to get some as well um, at home uh, against Chicago. But there are still some very intriguing matchups across the board. Philly going into Toronto. Vegas going into Washington. So I'll just leave it an open floor right now. Give me one game, one line. Uh, one player maybe that you're most interested in when you look across these matchups on this non-game slate. Well, you you kind of mentioned them already, but uh, Carolina. I mean, I'm from Ottawa. You know, technically a Sens fan. Watched them a million times. Watched every game they've played this year, and like they're just absolute trash. And okay, you know, okay. Ca- let let. I just want to pause there for one second because I wrote about this. Absolutely. Um, I wrote about this at Dabra Hockey this morning, and like I've watched more Senators games this year than I probably should, um, considering I'm not a fan of their team. Uh, but I like they're bad, but I don't think they're boring. You know what I mean? No, no, they're they're fun to watch. Yeah, that okay. I, like that's the but thing. Like, but like, they're not good. Yeah, they're not a good team, but they are. They do have exciting games. Like there are like. Detroit's a bad team, and even though they have some good players, I think they're incredibly boring to watch. And that's why, like, as we sit here recording this podcast, they're playing Boston, and I'm not watching a second of it because I just don't care. Um, I find Detroit incredibly boring to watch, and they're a bad team. But Ottawa's a fun team to watch, even though they're a bad team. Anyways, go on. Continue. Um, yeah, I mean, even, even when it's like 2-1 to one or 3-1 to one or whatever, there's still a million chances on both ends. So they make for, for a good night. But uh, I'd be looking at probably Svechnikov or Aho from that game. Like that's my one problem when I look at Carolina is I never know which line's gonna gonna go off. Uh, they don't have Eric Halla, I believe. He's still not traveling with them. But I'm I'm expecting you know like a 40 shot night from that team, and. Like, Ottawa can't defend worth shit. Uh, Anders Nielsen's going to be in nets. He's actually a lot better than I would have ever expected, but I don't see how you can get away from that matchup. Like, it's easy, easily the easiest matchup on the slate. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned Nielsen because he's 7,100 on DraftKings at home uh, against Carolina. Like, I know you like Carolina, and there's good reason to, but it seems like there's pretty good reason to play Nielsen on the other side too, right? Yeah, so the one thing I'd think about is DFS players, and like I'm probably pretty damn guilty of this too, but we all have recency bias, right? Like we all watched Henrik Lundqvist shut them down on 45 saves or whatever. Chalk Aho disappointed. Chalk Svechnikov disappointed. You know, maybe you get Carolina lower ownership than you'd expect. Maybe Nielsen sees more ownership than you'd expect. So. For me, it's it's worth just sticking to the Carolina side. Like, you know, I, I get the matchup. He's going to see a million shots. Shots are what matters, unless you let them all in. And yeah, that's, yeah. that's kind of what I'm making. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If, if you, you know, if you face 15 shots in the first period, that'd be great. But if you let in four goals and you're pulled with five minutes left, then, you you know, it's not so great. It's just that, you, you know, I'm, I'm just a – I always just look towards the price. And when you look at the pricing tomorrow um, – Assuming Carter Hart starts for Philly, which I think he probably will, the only cheaper goalies are going to be from Los Angeles. And I think L.A., I mean, I'm probably not going to talk about that game specifically, but that's another spot where you're going to probably see a lot of volume 
um, is either Quick or Campbell, depending on who starts there. And, uh, like, I'm kind of with you on Carolina that you don't really know where it's going to come from. Like, they seem to kind of rotate guys through the top line sometimes. And then I don't want to stack with Jordan Stahl in the second line. And then, as you were mentioning, Eric Hall is missing on the third line. So I think this seems like, like, I think Dougie Hamilton, like 6,800 is steep. Him or Jacob Slavin, I feel like should be automatically in lineups, in, like especially in cash games. Like, I think Slavin's going to make a pretty good one-off um, in tournaments because people just will not they'll they'll use Hamilton or or they'll always chase towards the power play and Slavin is a guy that always goes under own and it's a great matchup and it's it's a lot cheaper so I mean I'm, I'm with you on Carolina that it, it's a good spot I just man, I just I can see I can see myself like full fading Carolina and having just having a ton of Nielsen and that feels bad man So, when I look across this slate, the one game that really sticks out to me that I do have a lot of interest in is Philly going into Toronto. Um, Philly, they're, they're kind of a tough team to peg because they have a load of talent. And you feel like they should be doing a lot better than they should. Um, but they're really not. And they have... I, I shouldn't say they're really not. They're eight and five, which is, you know, that's probably good enough to get you close to the playoffs. Um, but it just seems like they're not handling teams with the ease that they probably should, considering how much talent that they do have. So I think I'm probably going to leave the first line from Philly alone, and I'm going to go towards the second line: Couturier, Limblom, Konechny. Um they're 16-5 on DK. They have perfect power play correlation. They play with Provorov, and I think Niskan is still there on the second power play unit. Um, so they're not expensive. They're gonna. It's a pretty good matchup going into Toronto. I think they avoid um, John Tavares and Mitch Marner, which is a little bit of a tougher matchup. Like if you're if, like if you're going up against Austin Matthews and Andreas Janssen, you're probably gonna have a, a decent night. And like I want to get your take on this because I haven't been following exactly closely. Are they still using um, Muzzin and Barry as the shutdown pair? Because they they had Riley and Cece as the shutdown guys uh, for a while, and then they moved to Muzzin and, and Barry. That's still what they're using, right? Yeah, it's mostly Muzzin and Barry, which is not ideal from a Toronto side. But yeah, but I Ron, mean, it, like Ron, it's it's Riley, better than Riley and. CC yeah, because that's Cody CC, but um, so that's the thing that makes me want to use Philly too is that they're probably going to put like Muzz like I think Muzzin's a good two way defender. Barry's not, but you know at least Muzzin can carry some of the defensive load. Riley and CC like they're both terrible defensively, like terrible. And if that's the pairing that's going to see a ton of Couturier, Limblom, and, K- and Konechny, then give me a ton of Limblom. Couturier and Konechny, um, especially at a reasonable price with perfect power play correlation. Like they're going to avoid Tavares, which I think is a little bit tougher matchup defensively. They're going to avoid Muzzin, um, and they're going to get Riley and Cece a lot. So I'm a big, big fan of that line. I just hope that they're not too owned, and I don't think they will be. Second lines on the road typically aren't very owned, at the, like regardless of matchup. 
Um, you'll see him in single digits. So I like Philadelphia too here tonight. Do you like anything on the Toronto side? Because I do kind of like the JT Marner Riley uh, power play stack, especially where they're probably going to be going up against Giroux, um, JT and Marner that is. But it is expensive. So what are your thoughts? Do you have any thoughts on, on using Philly here? And do you have any interest in Toronto at all? Um, I mean, I've definitely had interest in the Toronto power play stack. I usually do. Like, it's just very, very expensive. Um, Philly's p- penalty kill, I don't know how it is so far this year, but over the last season into this year, they're allowing, like, just under eight goals per 60 minutes. Pretty horrible penalty kill. So the Toronto side, you know, power play, special teams, great. But uh, one thing that you were saying is Tavares is probably going to see Giroux and Matthews and Couturier, and like, yeah, I've got that as the matchup as well. But the Matthews line has actually been better defensively than JT. And I don't know if that's a function of Marner or the rotating wingers. Like, I believe it's still Trevor Moore on that line, right? Yes, that's right. Yes, so they're actually having, they've got a higher expected goal against, they're allowing more high danger chances, more shots. So, you know, everything you you touched on with, you know, the ownership and the upside of Philly 2, I just prefer Philly 1. Like, you know, they're both lines with full power play correlation, but I actually think Tavares is basically a glorified Pajot, which I've (laughs) probably said before. Oh yeah, yeah he's the, the so, Toronto boy with the C on his chest. Yeah, but just he, so our listeners know, Adam is very, uh, I, no pun intended, adamant that that JG Pasho is basically just like a diet John Tavares, which is like I'll just let that kind of marinate in your ear for a couple seconds, and I'll let Adam pick up where he left off. Well, that that's it, really. JT is a function of his line mates. Like you could score forty goals with Mitch Marner passing you the puck. Two feet into the crease. All right. That's so yeah, his his goal totals okay. or whatever. That's he's overrated. That. That's enough of that. That's just that's probably enough of that. If they put Mikhaev on that line, by the way, that would be fantastic. Like that's the one thing I can't believe. I cannot that he's believe not there yet. That he hasn't played there yet this year. Because that line, like before Tavares got injured, that line didn't look good. Um, with Kapanen up there, it looked bad, frankly, and then. When Tavares came back, they didn't put McKayev there, even though he had been skating a little bit with Marner, I believe, before Tavares came back. Um, and then Tavares comes back in the lineup, and they put McKayev back on the third line. And, like, I understand why they do that, uh, because they probably want McKayev to really help out on the third line, and he does. But at a certain point, <laughs> if you're sacrificing... Um, how good your first line can be to make your third line better. It's kind of like cutting off your nose to spite your face. You know what I mean? So, like, I just... Anyways, I want to see Mikheyev up there sometime. Um, hopefully we get there eventually with the glacial changes um, to Babcock and his lines. That probably won't be till next season. So, um, maybe we'll get there eventually. But, I don't know. I'm st- I'm going to stick with Philly 2. If you want to, you go with Philly 1. Maybe we can make a nice side bet or something. Um, at some point. Okay, let's dig out of that game, and I want to get to the Chicago-Pittsburgh game. Because I find this a fascinating game. 
for a lot of reasons. One, I, I want to, uh, we're going to play a little guessing game here. So this afternoon, I was digging through some line combinations um, and how they've done so far this year. What in about 40, I believe it was about 46 or 48 minutes of ice time. What do you think the high danger Corsi 4 per 60 is for the Strom to bring at Patrick Kane line so far just this year? Uh, just this year? Just this year. And you pulled that today, so it's not bringing up the weird numbers? No. Uh, seven? 3.6. Yeah. It is pretty late. It is crazy how bad that line has been this year. Now, here's where I got to say one thing. I Like, we talk about, or we don't. I've talked about, um, not only I, other people have. Obviously, it's just the, the way it is. But expected goals metrics, the one thing that are hard to take into account are pre-shot movement. And I feel like, like Debrinkat and Kane have enough individual skill um, to really kind of throw off expected goals metrics. But even their XGF was like 1.7 or 1.8 or something like that. It, like just absolutely terrible. Like two standard deviations below league average. And I don't care what kind of pre-shot movement you have. There's nothing that justifies being that bad. So I was actually looking into their line because I was like, oh man, Chicago Tube, correlation, not that expensive. Probably get the Malkin matchup. Should be good to go. Looked at how they're playing this year and it's just garbage. Now, my running theory is that their defense is just terrible. Um, And that's kind of the problem that's the problems that they're having is that they can't move the pots so you know they can score goals once they get into the offensive zone and there's enough individual skill that you know if the three of them are rushing up the ice they can create something but as far as sustaining offense by cycling with your defenseman like i just don't see how that's possible um with chicago's blue line those are kind of the problems that i'm seeing so it kind of that got me away from using chicago um, even though I still have interest in Chicago too, just because of the price and correlation, but um, we'll see on Saturday. It just got me right back to Pittsburgh one, and I imagine they're probably going to be pretty popular. Um, Crosby, Gensel, and one thing to watch is for the morning skate. We might not get one because Pittsburgh doesn't do a lot of them. Um, but Alex Galchenyuk got up to Crosby's line last game, and he was there for several shifts, I believe, to finish the game. Um, and he's also in the top power play unit. So you talk about um, Galchenyuk playing on the top line with Gensel and Crosby, top power play unit with Gensel and Crosby and Malkin. Um, you know, him being there, it's the line's not super expensive. They're under 19K, so it's not like completely prohibitive like a Boston line or something like that. So um, Chicago, I like. I think they're probably going to go up against Taves' line. Um, is that your read on it? Like Crosby would normally match up against Taves when they come into town? Yeah, that's... The expectation okay. It's just not not a hard, hard match. Probably like 65-35 kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, who cares with this team, right? They, they all suck yeah. defensively. Um, <laughs> the expected goals against for Chicago with Sad and Taves on the ice this year is 3.75 um, expected goals against for 60 minutes, which, like, that's high, but it's really not, I don't think, unsustainable for a Bad, for a bad defensive line on a bad team with bad defensemen. So um, Crosby has kind of been dis- 
I want to say Crosby's been disappointing because, you know, um, it's not often that Sidney Crosby's disappointing plays, and that's certainly um, not the case with him this season. No, let lie the, the solid defensive plays. He's still over a point-per-game player. Um, but I think people have, would have been expecting more from him at, at this point. I think this is a game, it just seems like the matchup, uh, the correlation, price isn't bad. It just seems like this is the perfect game for Crosby and Gensel to really do do some damage. And again, I expect them to be popular, but on a nine-game slate, I think there are enough places where you can differentiate yourselves. And there's no need to go with a full stack either. If you want to leave Galchenyuk off because you're worried that he might not skate there or he might get moved off the line, like I'm fine with that. Then just go with Crosby and Gensel and throw in Justin Schultz if you want. So um, what's your feeling on the Taves and Sad combination? Are they really that bad defensively or is there like, or is it just kind of like a small sample, you know, 50 minute small sample wonkiness or something? No, like that's, that's been bad for a long, long time. <laughs> um, so the sample that I've, I haven't moved all my numbers over to just this season yet because, you know, the samples are going to be like 30 minutes on some lines and it's just too small. So I've got Taves and Sod as a combo, 505 minutes over last season and this season. Uh, 2.86 expected goals against per 60. 15 high danger chances per 60, which is remarkably high for a line with Jonathan Taves. Like... You would expect them to be so much better, but no, it's just a horrible, horrible combination. And I, I haven't run the numbers with Nylander there because, like I said, small sample size, but he's not good defensively, so I can't imagine he's helping in any way. So I'm totally with you. And, like, Pittsburgh won. They should just basically run over Chicago. You're not going to believe, there's, there's, not gonna believe oh, this. Robbie, Robbie Fabry just scored again. Guy's a fucking stud, man. <laughs> He has, he has two power play goals in his first game with Detroit. That's crazy. So we're we're doing a segment later, so I'll save it. Okay. But bottle all, all your thoughts about Detroit and Boston tonight, and then we'll bring them back up at the end of the podcast. Okay, good enough. Because right. I can feel things building here, buddy. Okay. Well, just relax. Do you need to take a cold shower or something? I think I just need another beer. Okay, that'll help. Yeah, why don't you go? <laughs> okay. Here, while you're, uh, I'll let you just talk for a minute, see if you can calm yourself down, and I'm going to go grab myself another water, so why don't you give me one line that you're really, that we haven't discussed yet, that you're really looking uh, towards or forward to playing on Saturday Night Slate? Uh, One I'm definitely looking forward to is the Jofa line, so... Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson, you know, you know what you're getting there. They've played together for like three straight seasons now. Um, and they've got a road matchup against the Sharks. And I know the Sharks have been kind of turning it on recently, like uh, playing fairly well ever since they changed their lines. But it's still the Sharks. They still have Marty Jones. They still have Aaron Dell. They still have no idea what the fuck they're doing in the defensive end. Like, you know, you let the Minnesota Wild score five goals on you, taking a 6-2 lead, there's a problem. So, for me, the biggest line uh, would be Forsberg, Johansson, Arvidsson. They project out the highest for me just on a 
point per dollar value. They project the highest, obviously, as a total projected line. And that's matchup independent. So when you take that, then you look at the matchup with San Jose, full power play correlation, like, I don't know who else you would look at. Yeah, I'm with you. That was a line that I had written down um, on my sheet to talk about. I mean, 74.5 adjusted Corsi 4 per 60 this year, which is just an insane total and then you look at what they did last year last year was 77.1 like it's just crazy how much how much offense this line generates um the other thing too is you talk about perfect correlation um san jose is one of the more undisciplined teams in the nhl like they're it's almost four power plays a game they're giving up league average is like 3.2 so they're you know, 25% above league average, which is way, way, way too high. So you could see four power plays or five power plays in this game for Nashville. Um, they're not my highest projected line. They're number four. But I mean, number four projected line, you know, on the road on a nine-game slate. They're, that means they're firmly um, in play for me uh, for a lot of the reasons that you mentioned and, and for some other reasons as well. I do like that line a lot. Um, okay. So, I want to... The last line I wanted to talk about, and I really don't know what to do here, and I, I can't decide if I should just completely avoid them or go in super heavy on them. And that's Calgary 1. And I say that for a few reasons. One... Um, they do have the perfect correlation that we all talk about. Like, they all play together on the power play. Of course, that's a good thing. Two, like, St. Louis hasn't really been that good this year. Like, I know they have, a like, a good win total or whatever, but if you look at their underlying metrics, like, they're not really that good. Like, they're under 49% as a shot share team. Um, when they were rolling last year, like, after, after they fired Mike Yo and then they had that... You know, they had their month with Craig Berube, you know, to try to acclimate. Like, basically, after New Year's Eve, um, their shot share was just monstrous, like 57, 58% or something like that. Um, to see them down at 49% this year is, like, that's not good. Um, they're not allowing a ton, like, they're not allowing a ton of goals. I think Bennington's been playing well enough. But their expected goals against isn't very good either. Um, we're talking the bottom 10 of the NHL. They're in the same neighborhood as teams like Colorado, Detroit, and Buffalo. Like, those aren't teams defensively that you want to find yourself around. Like, I think people will, like, two, I think a couple things will happen here. One, people tend not to load up too much on late games. Um, it's less of an issue on the weekend, but especially during the weekday, people just don't want to worry about the late swap. Two, I think a lot of people will look at the St. Louis team and automatically assume they're the juggernaut St. Louis team that was allowing, you know, under two goals per game for like three months last year when, you know, maybe they will be and maybe they could turn it on, but they certainly haven't been through the first 15 games or whatever this year. So I can't decide whether to just fit, go with the crowd and fade Calgary or just use a lot of Calgary because I think this is a little bit of a better spot than people will realize. And, 
it won't take a lot to be pretty overweight on him. Like I think he could be 20% Calgary. Like if you're making 150 or 20 lineups or whatever you want to do, like I think you can probably get away with being 20% Calgary and being more than two times over the public. Um, I'm probably going to be even more than that. So, like, what do you, what are your matchups? What do your numbers say about St. Louis so far this year? Like, you know, have things changed from last year? Like, do you have any interest in Calgary um, on this slate? Uh, I don't have a ton of interest in Calgary on this slate, and that's mostly due to my expected matchup. Is I think they're going to see a lot of Ryan O'Reilly because you want to use Backlund in a shutdown role and. The line on St. Louis right now that you want to shut down is Schwartz and Shen, and I'm assuming it's still Robert Thomas. Yes? Uh, yeah, it is. But, see, that's the thing that got me thinking, though, is are they going to still, without Tarasenko there, are they still going to go um, with that matchup, or are they going to use Backlund um, against Ryan O'Reilly and Perron? Like, that's kind of the, that's why I want to get your your feeling on the matchups because that's that's kind of where my head was at is that I was thinking that they that Backlund would take care of O'Reilly and Perrant and then with Tarasenko out you know with Tarasenko out and then that would free up um, the top line to go against the first third lines or whatever yeah I mean it's like a good theory but I'm still expecting uh, Backlund against Schwartz and Shen is there anything behind that? No, not really. No. Like, it's it's kind of guesswork, right? Like, an injury throws such a wrench into everything when you're looking at matchups. Well, yeah, especially, you know, where, uh, especially Schwartz and, like, Schwartz, Shen, and Tarasenko um, played, oh, yeah. a lot, played a lot of minutes together, right? You know, if not all three, then at least two of the three. So, um, yeah, it really does throw a, a lot of wrench into things. All right, that's... Kind of the last team I want to talk about. Um, you know, like I said, I do like Philly too um, on this slate. Pittsburgh one uh, was another one I mentioned. Nashville one is one that I agree with you. I'll probably I I think my highest exposure is going to be the Nashville top line, the Joe Falon, Johansson, Forsberg, Arvidsson. Um, and <laughs> I'm gonna have to decide between having zero percent Calgary one and like forty percent Calgary one because. I'm 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 like it's I'm not gonna have like ten percent or something. I'm I'm gonna go pretty heavy or, or none. So that's probably that's where I'm at right now. But again, you know, this is just a little bit of research. All I've done is plug in my numbers. Um, I haven't I haven't gone super deep into the matchups. This is still, you know, twenty two hours before the slate even starts. So that's just where my initial leans are. Give me one more line, um, that you might be kind of looking at. Let's throw something at them that might be a little bit under the radar. Like, is there something from Arizona that might excite you? Are you maybe going to try to go against the grain in the Calgary Ottawa game and be a little bit of a homer? Why don't you give me give us one more line um, that you might be looking towards on this Saturday? Okay, well, I'm going to cheat a little bit because there were actually three more that I was fairly interested in. Uh, the first one is Nashville's third line, Grimaldi, Benino, Smith. Oh my God. You okay? Ugh. And that, that's You're not one like of a, those guys. Those that's Benino not a ri- guys. riding the the hot hand or whatever. Yeah, Nick Benino's been scoring the fucking lights out. But in a small sample, so 61 minutes they've played together. They're the best line on the slate, <laughs> number wise. Like, just the high danger chances, 
the expectacles for it's stupid high. I'm not saying, you know, load in 50% or whatever, but they pair really well with, you know, the Calgary 1. <laughs> See, that's like, the thing. Like, there's not really a super expensive line on the slate. Like, Toronto power play stack, I guess, would... Like, Toronto or Washington power play stack would probably be the only way. Or maybe... Yeah, so that's that's perfect. You stack the power play, and then you don't have to use Rocco Grimaldi. I mean, I'm yeah, but I'm not going down to Nashville 3 just so I can get to the pa- Toronto power play. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm discussing this. Well... What do you want me to say, man? I'm, I'm just super, <laughs> a nice I'm just super tilted because there was a slate like four or five games ago where Nashville was popping like crazy for me, and I was just Nashville three, and I was just laughing at it in my like when I was running my crunches on Fantasy Crunch. I was like, no, I'm not using Nashville three, and I just excluded them. I think that was a game, but you know, went off for like two goals and assists, or just two goals or something like that. Anyways, I was just. I'm just super tilted still, like five games later. You, you know who else pops every time I put his numbers in? Here we go. Islanders third line. Sizikis and Clutterbuck. No, that was another one. And we we were talking, and it's, but I mentioned this off um, in a chat uh, yesterday uh, on Thursday. Is like the first two weeks, Casey Sizikis was a one-off in my lineups. No, I didn't put him there. Fantasy Cruncher, my numbers, my projections put him there. I'd always exclude him. I was like, I'm not playing Casey Sezekis. For like two weeks, <laughs> he was always recommended. Like the last two weeks, nothing. Nothing at all has not been in my lineups. And then he goes like back-to-back multi-point games or something like that. I was just like, oh my god. Don't, uh, don't forget to thank Fantasy Cruncher too, by the way. I mean, I'm not going to go there. You can go there if you want. <laughs> Um, no, I, I won't go there, but I will mention the other two lines that I was kind of considering as like cheapish ones, uh, Washington second line. Yes. It's not a great matchup. Like no, when you're playing Vegas, it's it's... pretty, pretty tough matchup, but that line is good. I like, I think that might be a case where I probably wouldn't stack the entire line, but I would use a lot of one-off. Like I might use a lot of one-off Braun or a lot of one-off Kuznetsov or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Rana on his own is just a shot machine, and it's pretty pricey at fifty seven hundred. But I mean, I'm definitely a fan, and obviously him and Wilson have power play correlation. Kuznetsov gets to play on the top one with Ov, so that's that's a nice one. And then the last one would be Brady Kachuk and Anthony Duclair, and it doesn't really matter who the center is. Uh, I believe it's currently Nemesnikov. But Duclair is just shooting the lights out. Like His shot attempt numbers are stupid high. Kachuk's shot attempt numbers are stupid high. They generate so many high-danger chances just because of the style that Kachuk plays. Like They're Every shot basically comes three feet away. Um, not a great matchup, obviously. Can't say I'm a fan of the price at 6100 on Kachuk, but you're going to get them at you know two two to five percent, and even if they don't pay off, like they'll pay off in shots. So they interest me there for sure. 
Yeah, I do like that Ottawa top line, and I'll pro that'll probably be a line that I use as a complimentary line a couple times. You, like, you're right, it's not a great matchup, but um, I'll take I'll like team. I I don't like go, um, bad matchups on the road. You know what I mean? Like, I probably won't have like any Los Angeles on this slate, especially the top line or uh, St. Louis. Um, same thing. I think it's just a tough matchup on the road, but if it's a tough matchup at home, um, then I'm a little more apt to use a line. All right. I kind of, I kind of agree with you on Ottawa. Um, not sure how much I have. Maybe I'll have like 10% or something like that, but I am absolutely not rostering Nashville three. I don't care what anyone says or does. I don't care how much money other people win rostering Rocco Grimaldi and Nick Benino. I'm just not doing it. That's just, it's just not in my DNA. Okay. Uh, I think that's about all we wanted to cover. I mean, I have a lot of interest in Arizona on this slate, but you know, good luck finding out any information and they changed their lines, you know, a bunch of times in their last game. Uh, so like I said, good luck finding any real information about this team. I, you're probably going to have to be stuck using one off. So, um, if you can find some information about Arizona, not a bad matchup, but again, good luck finding that information. Okay. That just about wraps up our pod. You've had all our thoughts, um, on this slate, bunch of lines, players, teams, um, we're going to start introducing a little segment here at the end of each pod. And that's where... Adam and I are each going to go over something that's tilted us from the last week. We're, you know, we're, we're guys that tilt pretty easily. Um, I'll start first, and it's something innocuous, but it's happening a lot, and it's it's not just one slate. It happens on a lot of slates. With the DraftKings bonuses, you know, that fifth shot or that third block shot means a lot. You know, that fifth shot isn't 1.5 points that fifth shot is 4.5 points um same thing with the blocks at 1.3 like that third block shot or that fifth shot is important and i'm i was trying to look through my lineups to see who it was but i had a defenseman on the on the tuesday night slate i finished with four shots on goal and two block shots and you're just looking at your lineups and you're like I, it wasn't a slate where I was close to winning anything, but he hits those bonuses. I probably come close to breaking even. And it's just so tilting that it's just, you know, they are arbitrary. You know, why is it five shots? Why is it not four? Why is it, why is it not six? Why is it not seven? Why is it not three? Why is it three block shots? Why is it not two? Why is it not five? Like, obviously there's a, a frequency um, with how often these things happen. And that's, I hope that's something DK took into account. But just the arbitrary bonuses, like it's just it just kills you that a defenseman was one shot, one block away, you know, from boosting his score by like thirty percent. And I sit there like it's something that I had to stop doing after the first couple of weeks. Honestly, I had to stop checking. Like I look at my scores, but I don't look at what players got anymore. Like I don't. I'll see, you know, Jacob Truba had fifteen point six points. Great. And then just move on. Like, I'll never break down how he got those points. I just, I can't do it anymore. Like, that Tuesday, that's the last time I, I'm, I'm it's probably not the last time that I'm ever going to look at a player's stat line because I do have to do, I have some writing duties at Dabra Hockey that would prevent me from doing that. Um, but as far as DFS goes, like, I'm not going to be sitting there um, anymore 
just praying and hoping for that extra shot or that extra block shot. Like I done it. I got one from Nico Hishier actually like last week. He got a sh his fifth shot with like ten seconds left in overtime. Um, and obviously that's a pretty good feeling. And I think a block actually helped me. A block bonus got me first place in the twenty max. You know, a couple weeks ago. So that's the good side of it. But it's just so tilting to sit there and wait and hope and think. And you just you just know that you're just so close to getting a, a big bonus that could make the difference between losing money and winning money. And it's just arbitrary and it's just frustrating and it's just tilting as all hell. So I'm probably out on checking stats, at least on the nights that I'm not writing for Dabra Hockey. I just can't do it anymore. So that's my rant of the week. What, I know you've probably got something special for your first one, so why don't you hit us up with what's tilting you right now? Well, I was going to talk about Boston's top line because um, I've rostered them every slate in the past week and a half or so. <laughs> and then I've gone, fuck, they're going to be so chalky. I should probably change that. One lineup person. So that that's kind of a big deal when they score, you know, 12 combined points or whatever and they did it and then they did it again and then they did it again it's always boston one and i said so right now detroit's playing boston it's kind of on in the background or whatever and i went you know what i'm going to use them tonight and then i'm going to have to talk about how they tilt me so hard when they do absolutely nothing and sure enough they've done absolutely nothing the one time i finally decided to pay up and they suck that was what I was going to tilt about. But now I've seen Jonathan Bernie got an assist. So I'm going to tilt about goalie assist. <laughs> which is the stupidest fucking thing of all time on DraftKings. I don't know if they do it on FanDuel. I don't play there. But it makes zero sense. If you're going to give goalies assists, like make pitchers get hitting points in baseball. It's the same thing. I get that it's a recorded point, but they just get handed out like fucking candy by these loser scorekeepers in Detroit who have nothing, nothing to cheer about. The fans have nothing there, you know, Octopus and Dylan Larkin, and that's about it. So Buddy in the press box or whatever, oh, a shot hit the goalie, and then the puck went 200 feet into the other net. So I'm assigning an assist. I cannot believe that when DraftKings changed their scoring, they didn't take assists out for goalies. It drives me insane. I understand a goal. That's fine. If a goalie hits an open net, give them the 10 points. But goalie assists need to be removed. I hate it. It Nothing makes me angrier than seeing a goalie assist, especially on a short slate. So Mike Smith did it on a two-game slate like two nights ago. Bernier does it tonight on a three-game slate. Like, just fuck off. And that's that's what I've been tilting about. Sorry for the swearing. No, I think the swearing's warranted. I'm, like, I'm completely with you. Like, I just fucking hate goalie assists so much. And I've been the recipient of my fair share. And uh, they've helped me win money before. I'm not saying that they haven't. I'm just saying they should just get rid of them completely. Because you're right. The way that they're scored by the keepers, or by the scorekeepers... It's just crazy. Like, if, if a shot goes off a goalie, he shouldn't get an assist, right? And yeah, it, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And it, I, uh, anyways, 
Yeah, I, scorekeeping's I a whole other yeah, tilting that's a whole, thing. Yeah, we'll save that for another week. <laughs> that's a whole podcast, um, basically. Yeah. Anyways, I'm completely with you. Like, I just hate that so much. And maybe we'll lobby DK in the off season. We'll change it or something like that. They won't change it in season, but maybe in the off season. All right, that's it for us. Uh, we're gonna let you guys go. Um, hopefully, we can help you win some money. Be sure. I can't stress this enough. Be sure to check Twitter. Um, check your favorite sources uh, for up-to-date information because God knows these lines might change uh, between now and about when we're recording this, which is about 9 o'clock Eastern on Friday night and you know 3 o'clock in the afternoon Eastern on Saturday afternoon. A lot could change, so make sure you're always looking for the up-to-date information. Uh, for Adam Daly, this is Michael Clifford. Good luck, everybody, on your Saturday night gambling.